And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles' exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Hope you've been enjoying the wrestling over the last few days. We're starting to wind down on WrestleMania week, and my goodness, there are a lot of things to kind of get to. But we're going to start off not on WrestleMania. We'll get to the two-night spectacular, which I think definitely lived up to the expectations of it being the most stupendous two-night event in WrestleMania history. But I want to kind of shift the conversation over towards Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor. This happened on Friday night. Got some quick thoughts on that, then we'll get into the main course, because I think there were some really, because it was an interesting show from top to bottom. It was a lot of kind of surprises. If you weren't necessarily paying attention to some of the news, you started seeing some of those guys pop up. It was like, okay, let's see how this goes. It feels like it's a great showcase for some of the superstars that were involved in the action, including guys like Alex Zane and Swerve Strickland, who was already part of AEW. But I think it's more about seeing how this future of Ring of Honor under the AEW banner could be. There's a lot of intrigue, and I'll probably learn more leading into probably one of the most important shows in AEW's short history that's going to be this coming Wednesday night. But let's start off looking at the matches itself on the main card. I didn't catch a single minute of the zero hour, the their pre-show, but I was able to tune in just in time as the main card was getting started. And this is a hell of a way to start off a main card. Alex Zane versus Swerve. Obviously, Swerve part of AEW already. Alex Zane has made his name over the last few years on the independent scene, namely in GCW. He's been a little bit of time with the WWE, but he left. Now he's doing his own thing. He could be another guy that gets kind of picked up from AEW and could be a really big player in the Ring of Honor kind of realm. And this was a fantastic opener. It was exactly what you'd expect from two guys that have that new school cruiserweight style where it's amazing spots back and forth, fast and furious action. Definitely a get your bleep in type match. Fantastic stuff. At one point, you have Alex Zane hitting Strickland in the back with a shooting star press knee while he's basically in the tree of woe. That was a wild spot. Love to see that. Swerve got it done. with The the crowd got going. Wasn't necessarily a huge fan of the finish in this match, but still a strong opener. If I was booking a wrestling show, this is exactly how I'd want to open up a main card. Give them a hot cruiserweight match to get the people going. Four links to Boone in a really high quality match here. Then we get to the second match on the card. It was Ninja Mac against a opponent that was the new client for Tully Blanchard for TBE. Tully Blanchard Enterprises is what it's called. And everybody was wondering who it was going to be. Could it have been, you know, Wyndham Rotunda, who could it have been? A million names were being bandied about. But the name of the opponent was none other than Brian Cage, a guy that had recently gotten signed for an extra year option after not really being used on AEW television for the better part of six months. And he was able to make a big statement, taking down, again, I talk about Alex Zane. Ninja Mac is a guy 
that I think is starting to make waves and starting to catch on in the Indies and GCW to where he could be a big player in the future of Ring of Honor and how all this is going to wind up going. But this was exactly what you'd expect from Brian Cage. He looked extra yoked. Like he looked a little bit leaner, but at the same time, you could just tell there's a lot more definition in his muscles. The dude looked jacked, and it continues to boggle the mind that WWE never even gave him the time of day compared to what they do with some other guys that fit that big, sweaty, monster-type feel. And Brian Cage fits that to a T here. Ninja Mac tries for the Sasuke special before the bell even rings. Cage catches him, throws him down. It was pretty much a glorified squash match to put over Brian Cage. Mac got some offense going, but it was pretty much smoked out after a kick. And he got hit with a drill claw for the win. Two and a half links of Boonan, fine stuff. Definitely the come down match on the card. And then we get to Lee Moriarty versus Jay Lethal. And the expectation for this match was it was going to freaking slap. And that's exactly what it did. It was really cool. The fact they were reversing a lot. They were spamming those reversals, near falls, roll-ups, everything about it was really good. And you had so many false finishes to where it was very much 2.9999. Like very close, near falls. And it ended in an interesting way. It wound up playing out a lot better once we got to the main event of the night. But you have Jay Lethal hits a low blow on Lee Moriarty while the referee is distracted. And then we see him following up lethal injection for the three count. And he started selling like he was conflicted about doing such an underhanded thing to secure the victory. And it kind of blends into his storyline in AEW where he's been losing a lot. He's been on a big old losing streak. And eventually, after losing so much, he's going to snap. He's going to have to get a win by whatever means necessary. Because if Lee Moriarty beat him, that would have been a huge blow to his ego and probably ruined the credibility of somebody that has, obviously, a long, illustrious history with Ring of Honor, number one. And number two, a guy that came into AEW built up he is a established name not just in the independent scene he definitely has a ton of experience on tv and has been a focal point of the number two or number three promotion depending on what perspective you look at certain things in the industry for almost 20 years he's part of ring of honor a big part of tna during their boom period he got over huge over there got incredibly over after leaving impact to go to Ring of Honor again. He's been the guy that's never jumped ship. And the way he lost, the way he won that match and felt conflicted afterwards was intriguing. And then they kind of started to have him go a little bit more and more full heel. He took out Matt Seidel, who was injured. And then, then Sanjay Dutt comes out, calms him down. Obviously, they're good friends. Kind of, again, going back to the TNA relationship that they had before SoCal Val kind of got put into the mix. Overall, three and a half Lisa Buna. A fantastic match that was good till the last drop. Absolutely would love to see these two go at it again, run that match back, maybe even 
A Matt Seidel match could be really fun to see down the road on Ring of Honor or even AEW. But now we're going to get to the ROH Women's Championship match. And this was the for the interim Women's Championship because Roxy couldn't defend the title during WrestleMania weekend. She was booked up like crazy, especially with TNA. They were actually going to do their Multiverse of Matches show, I think, around the same time as the FTR Briscoes matchup. So we get to this, and it was blown away how quickly we got to the third match on the card. This is around 8 o'clock when this match, match actually started. This one started to slow the pace down. Hard hitting. These two went at it for a good while. Willow Nightingale really came alive. This was her first real introduction to me. And she looked great in a lot of the spots that she put in. She definitely did put in a lot of work to get over throughout that match. She definitely had some really great spots. There was a moment, though, where it was a scary moonsault that Willow hit, and it looked like Mercedes legit got hurt on that spot. Like, it looked like she got concussed the way they were selling it. But she looked to be okay towards the end of the match and was able to lock in the Brass City Sleeper, which is basically a seated I'm a Dragon Sleeper after counting a gut wrench, presumably gut wrench powerbomb. This was a really good match, really good story being told. I'll give it three and a half links of Boonan easily because these two put on a really good match leading into probably one of the best matches of the pay-per-view and a strong, and I mean strong, contender for match of the year. ROH World Tag Team Championship, FTR versus the Briscoes. This match freaking ruled from start to finish. Crowd was hyped at like 11 before the bell even freaking rang. And when you have stuff like this, pro wrestling gets to another level. And this was not the technical wrestling masterpiece, but it's what you wanted. Jay Briscoe gets busted open. You see people getting busted open. Match goes 100 miles an hour from the word go. It's definitely a hard-hitting brawl. The entire time, they're going outside the ring, spending a good bit of time out of there. They're going into the crowd a little bit. Really good stuff here from the start to the finish. And I liked how they had a lot of very close falls, really big moves that maybe you weren't necessarily expecting. 15 minutes into the match, Jay Bresco gets busted open. They start bleeding. Definitely looks like a hard-hitting match and exactly what you'd expect from these two. FTR took over a little bit after that. Mark Briscoe had a great hot tag sequence. The Briscoes wound up hitting the big rig for 2.9999. It was literally so damn close. And of course, FTR wound up winning with the big rig in what is without a doubt one of the best tag team matches you'll be seeing probably in 2022. I think this Wednesday's match on Dynamite Maybe that match that gets over just a little bit more. That could be that match that goes five stars and could break the scale when it's all said and done. Because this was a five links of Boonan type match. These two went at it hard hitting as hell from the word go. And the dream match, sometimes you have those dream matches and they don't necessarily deliver like you want to. This was without a doubt a match that lived up to the hype. 
and then some. Young Bucks come out after the match and try to take out the Briscoes with the Meltzer driver. FTR saves them. And then we get an announcement that we're going to get this Wednesday night on Dynamite. The Young Bucks FTR for the AAA and Ring of Honor tag team titles. Just outstanding stuff. Great post-match segment. Everything about it was perfect. Then we get to a really cool match. The ROH World Television Championship. Rhett Titus defending against Minoru Suzuki. Who, according to commentary, they said he took the match on three days notice. And this was a damn good match. The Code of Honor was declined. Suzuki slapped the taste out of his mouth. Very hard-hitting battle between the two. And all of a sudden, it's just very quick. Suzuki wins with the Gotch-style pile driver, plus a surprise. I think it was an appropriate match length for a come-down match leading into the pure championship title match. I'll go three and a half links to Budan, fine stuff. And Suzuki winning a United States-based title, about damn time. ROH Pure Championship. If you aren't a fan of technical wrestling, this may not be for you. But this is something that I love to see. It's technical wrestling is always going to be good, especially when you get two guys like Josh Woods and Wheeler Yuta. These two just went at it. I like the storytelling in this. It's very basic, but it works. It was a banger. And it wasn't, you know, you see a guy get submitted or it's the expected, you know, big finish. No, you had a surprise pinfall and a really nice, you know, trap pin to secure the victory for Wheeler Yuta, your new pure champion as we head to this new era of honor. Really great stuff here. Well-deserved moment for Links of Boonan type match. Now we get to the main event of the night. The undisputed ROH World Championship Bandito taking on Jonathan Gresham. Match that was supposed to happen at final battle, but COVID had other plans all the way back in December. To where Bandito could not wrestle. Like it was literally days before the show. They had to kind of change it up a little bit, having Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham be the main event, which was good. And this was about what I expected. And it's not a bad thing in the slightest. I think it's just the fact that when you see a guy like Bandito taking on a technical wizard in Jonathan Gresham, it may not be the best match in the world. But overall, I think this was a really solid match. And also, he had Bandito, he had wrestled not long before that. I think this was the Azteca Underground show just before that. Had to make his way across town to get to this fight. And these two just were absolutely having a good time. And I liked how Bandito didn't want any outside interference, didn't want any BS. But the one guy that was causing the BS and was causing the problems was the guy handpicked as his manager, Chavo Guerrero Jr. And of all people, I've never seen this before in wrestling. Bandito snitched out his manager and he was ejected just to keep him around and keep this match going. He wanted to win this his way. Match really picked up after that in the last five minutes. Yet Gresham kicked out of the 21 plex at 2.9. Gresham gets kicked a few times, but then eventually fires up and lands a trap pin again. A lot like the co-main event, he wins it with 
a surprise pin, really good matchup. Maybe not the best is maybe not the best styles match, but these two worked really well. It's a four and a half links of Buddha match. Could have been just a little bit shorter, maybe done without some of the BS, but still was what it was and very good. Now we get to the post-match stuff, which I think was the biggest takeaway of this. Jay Lethal comes out after the match and then basically challenges Gresham for the belt. Gresham says he can't do that because of the actions of Lethal earlier in the night. And then Dutt comes back out to calm down Lethal, then attacks Gresham. These two start stomping him out. Moriarty comes out to save the day. Lethal winds up hitting Moriarty with another lethal injection. But then we see Samoa freaking Joe make his return to Ring of Honor. This was the biggest surprise that we were hearing about. Tony Khan was basically saying, don't leave after the match is over. After the main event's over, stick around. It's a lot like the post credit scene in a Marvel movie. And Samoa freaking Joe made his debut in the new Ring of Honor. He's all elite. And he started putting people to sleep right away. And just the way he looked in that was fantastic. His post-match promo. Putting over Ring of Honor. I cannot wait to see him wrestle on Dynamite. On Ring of Honor television again. And it's crazy. Because as soon as I saw that. I realized we were just one year removed. From him being on commentary. On commentary at WrestleMania wearing a poncho. To now being one of the top guys in the newly rebooted Ring of Honor slash AEW. Again, Tony Khan has just lucked into opportunities like this. It's one thing back in the day when you go see TNA or WCW snatch up all these guys. Literally, you'd see him get popped up once or twice a year. But no, you're seeing these guys just come in. And they're just flying in like crazy. You have, you've went from, you know, John Moxley was probably going to be the one of the few big surprises heading into the pandemic. You're probably just going to ride with that. Then you start seeing Luke Harper turning into back into Brody Lee. FTR comes over. Then eventually you see further down the road, Sting comes over. Mark Henry, Big Show, all these cats. Christian Cage, the list goes on and on and on and on. But it's once you got to August of last year, CM Punk, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson. It feels like every single month we're getting a new big signing. And it's great. I'm just wondering how much more can you keep it up before you wind up maybe running out of money. That's going to be the biggest thing. And I feel like this is an opportunity for Tony Khan to really prove himself and build two really strong companies that are going to be basically working together. It'll be almost like a feeder system. And I'm wondering, on that statement, does what does this mean for the Dark show and AW Dark, AEW Dark Elevation? What does that mean for those programs? Because now you have a true, honest-to-goodness, you know, B-show, and I hate to use the term B-show because it doesn't it doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, in all honesty, this is almost like a C-show, like a Velocity or Sunday Night Heat, what ROH would be in the grand scheme of things. But I think they want to put these two things together and it becomes something really special. And just based off of one night where you had about 20,000 pay-per-view buys for a company that 
honestly had seen better days for the better part of, I'd say, the last two to three years since the Young Bucks left back in 2019. They turned it around, and they had really good pay-per-view buys. Now, how sustainable is it? That's anybody's guess at this point in time. All right, let's go ahead and get into WrestleMania Night 1. I've got some thoughts on a lot of different things. Like, first off, why do we have two hours of pregame for both days? No pre-show matches, nothing. It just feels like it was very sterile at certain points when you think about how it was all put together, how it was all booked. And it was a lot of just talking heads. Whenever you had SmackDown, you could have just done the Battle Royal, not on Friday night, but do it Saturday to kind of just break up the monotony. And overall, really enjoyed some of the stuff they had at the beginning of this show. And you start off with what could have been a really good opener with two really solid hands as a tag team. And Shinsuke Nakamura, Rick Boogs, hasn't necessarily wrestled all that much. But when Rick wrestles, it's pretty fun. And just Boogs is just an overall fantastic character. First off, love this set for this year's show. Thought it'd be just a giant video board at first glance, but it looked way better than I expected. Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders did a short routine before the show officially began, and we were basically about 10-15 minutes in before their bell even rang, which is insane to think about, but it's WWE. What do you expect from them? Solid opener between these two teams during this run. I can't think of a bad match from the Usos. Like Going back to when they changed to the day one-ish type feel, going back that far to now, I can't think of a really... Truly bad match. These two did really well. It looked like they were trying to do a double Samoan drop spot by Boogs. But the second second Uso got on top of him, he could not handle that weight. Went down on that knee. Tore his patella tendon. And like at first you thought maybe he was selling it really well. But immediately, like you just tell, it was not good at all. Nakamura... To control for the rest of the match, and the Usos wanted to retain the tag team titles shortly after hitting the 1D. Wish it could have gotten a few more minutes, but it makes sense why, and it's understandable because obviously you deal with that injury. You kind of got to hurry up and get the match over with and move on. Wish it had gotten a few more minutes, but it was still a solid three links of boot type of match. Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin. I did not care a single iota about this match. I wished it wouldn't have happened, but of course we get to see this payoff at WrestleMania. And Happy Corbin got his ass handed to him, and it was just great to see. But what was even wilder was the fact that you have, like, this is for shoot. Like, this was actually the first time ever somebody's kicked out of the end of days. Like, this is damn near on the level of... Like, this is damn near on the level of somebody kicking out of the one-winged angel. This match, this move was extremely protected, and it was mind-blowing to see that actually happen. He kicked out of it at 2.9. Really well done. McIntyre wound up winning with a Claymore kick. Solid, three links of Buddha type match. Typical contest with McIntyre getting the hits. But kicking out... Of one of the most protective moves in all of the WWE was really cool. After the match, Madcap wants to attack him, but Drew stops him and breaks the top rope. Damien breaks all three ropes with the sword. 
So we're getting a long break here while they're trying to fix that. Or maybe not nearly as long of a break as I thought, because we pretty much went straight into business with the Mysterios versus Logan Paul and The Miz. This was a fantastic tag team match. Very good storytelling. And Logan Paul was kept under control. Like Logan Paul did things, but it wasn't necessarily like a Pat McAfee match where it was all about him kind of having to handle his business. He worked extremely well in this celebrity role because he didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot. Love the fact they had Dominic and Rey Mysterio jumping out of the sky like it's 2022. And the fact you have, I was like, what the hell's going on at first? And then I realized that Dominic's gear was basically a tribute to Art Bar's tag team with Eddie Guerrero, the Gringos Locos. And I, the only reason why I remember this is because I remember seeing this on WWE Classics on Demand years ago. That's the only reason why I remember it. It's just vivid to me to see that match. Eddie Guerrero and Art Bar were tag teaming, and they were wearing you know the full blown Americanized gear. I don't know why. That's the only reason why I really remember that gear. But he was rocking that. Some great stuff there. Very good match. A little bit of a chaotic finish, which I liked. Miz tagged in after the double 619 and hit the skull crushing finale on Ray to win the contest. Three and a half links of Buna. Fine stuff here. Miz and Logan Paul get the win. And then we got a real head scratcher with Logan Paul getting hit with a skull crushing finale. Now we've started to learn a little bit more about the entire story. Like, I was blown away by this that I saw this pop up. Earlier today, like I was going to tape this on Monday, then I didn't, was just dead tired because one, WrestleMania night two, I was busy working on the yard most of the afternoon, then didn't take an, didn't fall asleep, didn't take a nap or nothing. And Monday kind of was about the same, just had a really long day, so I didn't necessarily tape it, but that's besides the point. Apparently Logan Paul, according to Dave Meltzer, not necessarily like written in stone, but I mean, I would I would not be surprised if that's actually what happened. With Meltzer saying that WWE made a promise to Paul ahead of the match that and even put it into his contract that he would be a babyface as he wanted to portray that role instead of being a natural heel, which is why Miz turned on Paul at the end of the match. And maybe we see this get run back probably around SummerSlam time. This is just at least what I presume is going to happen. And honestly, that's very weird to think about that we get to see this go down on a WrestleMania night one where Logan Paul becomes a babyface. Whatever, honestly, I think the biz and all this is the actual babyface when it comes right down to it. Gable Stevenson is introduced, uh, Stevenson, excuse me, Gable Stevenson introduced by Stephanie McMahon, which was interesting. It was just a quick little thing and saying, hey, here's our next big thing in WWE. Let's go ahead and introduce him now. 20 years after Brock Lesnar made his debut. Then we get to, without a doubt, the match of the night and maybe the match of WrestleMania. The Raw Women's Championship match, Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. Becky had a phenomenal Titan Tron, reminded me a lot of the then now forever intro. It was great to see that. Also had a little bit of that Marvel flair to it, but really good stuff from start to finish from this match. Tons of close calls. 
Bianca Belair, the right result actually happens. The fans that were saying, like, wait it out. What's going to happen? Let this thing play out before you start just going off on WWE and saying, oh, WWE doesn't push certain superstars. Well, guess what? They just freaking did. And they pushed Bianca Belair to the moon with this match. She completed the redemption arc with the KOD and the EST of WWE is champion once again. And this was a barn burner. Four and a half links of Boone and great story told in the ring. The counter out of the manhandle slam off the second rope looked great going into the KOD. Just a really cool finish. And it just felt so fresh to see these two go at it. And somebody finally beating Becky Lynch and pretty much ending her reign of terror, at least for right now. I liked what I saw from these two women. Probably one of my favorite matches of both nights. It's probably the best match of the entire weekend from the WWE side, because obviously nothing's going to beat Briscoe's FTR. Then we get to another match that's probably very close to being like the match of the night in my book. A lot of people definitely link that as the match of the night on our Twitter poll, which we put out after every pay-per-view on our Twitter, at CajunStrongPod. We usually put that out, and I was blown away to see how close it actually wound up being with Seth Rollins versus his mystery opponent, Seth Rollins has an entrance complete with a bunch of pitch-perfect extras. And then all of a sudden, you hear it. Wrestling is more than one royal family. Cody Rhodes, it's full-blown AEW Cody Rhodes in a WWE ring. I never thought I'd see it. But, brother, this match freaking ruled as well. Some sloppy moments in the match, which takes it down a notch. Because this could have been a, like, five links of boot and match. But it's just a little bit short. They had a weird wonky looking moonsault. A buckle bomb to the outside stood out to me. That looked a little wonky. Maybe a little sandbag action. Rollins kicked out of the crossroads at 2.9. Was a great spot. Rhodes was breaking out everything. Even the Cody Cutter. Rollins kept fighting back. Rhodes basically kicked out of the pedigree at 2.9. Hit, even if, like Cody hit the Tiger Driver 98. On WWE television. The only thing missing was the cop collar. That's the only thing that we were missing. Was the vertebraker. As part of the finish. And I loved how they did it. The finish. Cody Rhodes hits a pair of crossroads. Waits for Rollins to get up. Lands the old bionic elbow. And hits a third crossroads. To win the match. Four and a half leagues to Bune. Night one at this point has exceeded expectations for me. Now we get to the point when the show damn near falls off the rails. This was a good match, but it was missing that special it factor that made it, that would have made it like a WrestleMania damn near four and a half links of boot type match. It was missing something. Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown women's title. I've always had my thoughts that I can't stand Charlotte Flair in the title picture consistently. But she's shown how capable she is of putting on a banger with the right opponent. This was a really solid match, hard hitting. I like the fact he had Charles Robinson as the official. Would have loved to have seen a screw job finish in there as a finish, but I didn't like how they handled it at the end. With a ref bump, and Flair took advantage of the ref bump, tapping out, but you have Flair win after with a big boot just a big boot that's it no natural selection no figure eight 
No nothing. Just a simple big boot and a three count from Charles Robinson. And that's how that match is. I wasn't a fan of the screwy finish, but still a solid match. Again, missing that special something that those two previous matches had. It was kind of that good, but it was just missing that special ingredient. Overall, really good match for Link Zapude. Now we get to the main event of the night. Stone Cold Steve Austin on the KO show. Kevin Owens does his classic cut a promo on the state of Texas. And you never want to do that. Don't mess with Texas, especially in that state. And he keeps drawing the heat. Then all of a sudden, you hear it, the glass shatters. People go nuts. And he looked lean. Stone Cold looked absolutely lean and in shape. Austin starts ripping Owens to shreds, calling him a jackass and a stupid son of a bitch. Great promo battle between these two. KO mentions that he lied about just getting him on the talk show. Just to talk, he wants to fight him in no holds barred match. And we're getting one complete with a referee. Bell rings. And this is pretty much the equivalent of a Guns N' Roses concert circa 2005. You were just going there to see him play the hits. And this was a really good walk and brawl. Give credit to Kevin Owens for protecting Stone Cold a lot in this match. Stone Cold plays the hits. And I was amazed. He actually took a couple of bumps. These two brawled up and down the ring in the crowd. Owens even landed a stunner for two. And Owens was going to go for another one. But Owens wound up hitting himself with a steel chair. And Austin wins with a stunner. Match was fine. Three links of boot in for the match, but damn, it was a five links of boot in type moment. Not the match in pay-per-view, but hot damn, that was a fun moment and a great way to end night one of WrestleMania, which that in and of itself was a show with no real flaws. The finish of the Ronda Charlotte match is what it is, but the ov- everything from top to bottom was solid. You open up night two with a really fun segment. Triple H laying his boots in the center of the ring. Introduces WrestleMania Night 2. Then we get to RK Bro versus Alpha Academy versus the Street Profits for the Raw Tag Team titles. Fantastic opener. This was exactly what I talked about with Night 1 of WrestleMania. It was the hot finish and the hot match. It's all like what I said about the Alex Zane Swerve match on Supercard of Honor. Give me something like this where it's completely insane and hot. Everybody gets their stuff in. And I think I saw this. I'm trying to remember what pay-per-view it was. I think it might have been Survivor Series 2020. Or even 2021. I honestly cannot remember. But you have a doomsday blockbuster spot for the Street Profits that... Just looks insane. So many high spots and dives all the way through. Really like the finish here. It was just really well produced with RK Bro retaining. Riddle hits a springboard RKO on Montez Ford. Just the elevation they had on that. Then Gable tries to do a flying nothing. Orton catches him with an RKO out of the thin air. Fantastic Start to the show. Four links of Buddha got the crowd hot and in the right mindset. Then you have Gable Stevenson comes out, wants to celebrate post match with the Street Profits and RK Pro. 
Gable ruins the party. Stevenson and Gable get into it. And Stevenson just suplex Gable clear across the ring. So get ready for Shorty G part two before too long. Because I think there's only room for one Gable. And it's Stevenson. Omos versus Bobby Lashley. This match was zero expectations. And it felt like it was pretty much David versus Goliath. Glorified squash match for the first like five minutes. And then Bobby Lashley winds up winning after a snap suplex and a pair of spears to get the win. Three links of Boonea find stuff. Omos is starting to grow and evolve as a competitor. And the fact you have to take a loss, and now he's going to be full heel with MVP. I think that's going to be a great pairing because I think the biggest weakness of somebody like Omos is his promo skills. Just he's great at doing the yelling, but at the end of the day, you can only do so much from that perspective. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Omos and MVP, but we'll see what happens from there. Then we get to the Anything Goes match. Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn. I can't say enough about how amazing that match was, not from a technical perspective in any way, shape, or form. This was probably one of the most entertaining celebrity matches I've ever seen. It was pretty much Tom and Jerry episode. It was a Tom and Jerry episode, but real life. Every single second of the match ruled, especially once they started adding more and more things. You have uh, mouse traps on table. You have that be a giant bump. You have Wee Man, Party Boy making cameo. You've got a giant mouse trap, a bowling ball to the groin. You have Johnny Knoxville using the giant hand from Jackass 3D. I, I cannot like say enough about how much fun that was. In terms of a technical masterpiece, this was not. But hot damn, if I didn't laugh my ass off for a good 5 to 10 minutes during this contest. You had so many cool spots in there. You know, you had the pyro popping up on the corner because John Knoxville just had a button to push. That was funny. Like, overall, a fun-ass match. It wasn't technical, but it was fun. At the end of the day, that's all you really ask for if you're a wrestling fan is to have some entertaining stuff to watch. Women's Tag Team Championship match was up next with Naomi and Sasha Banks versus Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, and the champions, Carmella and Queen Zelina. And it feels like at this point, the Women's Tag Team Championships are just like show fodder and four-way matches are just a tradition at this point. But these group of four teams put together a really fun match with some great spots. And the fact you have Sasha Banks and Naomi win was really cool. But you had the fact they actually won with a interesting double team move. It was almost like a modified like heart attack. But instead of you know the clothesline, it was a code breaker from Banks while Naomi held her up. Was really cool. It's just different, and I like it. Three and a half links to Boudin, great action. Got sloppy at certain points, but it can be overlooked because this was that come down match from, again, a really heated feud. But damn, I, you need that moment just to kind of let the show breathe for a hot minute. Especially when you get into Edge versus AJ Styles. And it was without a doubt a tribute with Undertaker with the gear he had for this. His entrance was fantastic with the whole throne, 
everything. So damn good. And this was about what we expected. It's one of the things we hate about Edge in this modern era, especially at WrestleMania. He has become the, you know, I think we can all agree, he started to become a lot like Triple H was and his career largely came down to having these long plotting matches. And this one was 24 minutes. The only match that went longer was Cody versus Seth. And this is like the second best match on the pay-per-view in my book. These two absolutely went at it from the word go. So damn cool. A lot of great counters with Styles hitting the phenomenal forearm and the Styles clash. Edge held on. All of a sudden, Styles goes for another phenomenal forearm. Damian Priest spawns at ringside, like basically no clipped into the arena. Universe mode style. I actually just laughed my ass off the second I saw that spot. And he distracted AJ just enough to help Edge catch him midair with a spear for the win. This was a great showcase for both these guys. I didn't like the distraction finish all that much, but I'm also more intrigued to see what happens next and move forward and how this potential stable slash tag team, whatever it's going to be, turns out. There's still plenty of time for us to kind of see what the future holds from that POV. Next up, Sheamus and Ridge Holland versus Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. And this was actually a match that got bumped from night one, and we can see a, a really point of what I talked about earlier. Why do we have to have two-hour pregames and a match gets bumped down that's on the main card and probably could fit in the kickoff and give it time to breathe? This was a, what the hell was the point of all that? Ridge Holland got the win for his team after two broke kicks from Sheamus to both Kofi and Woods. Two links of Boudin, and I'm being generous. Probably the worst match of WrestleMania this weekend. Just because it literally was the shortest match by far. Minute 40. What the hell was the damn point of that? Literally, Vince McMahon's match went longer than this. And we'll talk about that in a second. This was the co-main event. Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory. This match was basic. As all get out. The storytelling, simple. The match and the the spots, pretty basic. But hot damn, it was good. You had Pat McAfee come out to Seven Nation Army. The crowd's getting into it, doing the oh, 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 oh. Which honestly... McAfee needs to come out to that forever. Because that crap ruled. Really good stuff there. And McAfee wound up getting the win with a nice roll-up coming out of the A-Town down. Three and a half links of boot in. Fine stuff here. These two just went over. And I'm not rating the next match because it wasn't part of the card. And it was very much a you know squash job. And Vince McMahon gets his WrestleMania moment. Pat calls out Vince McMahon and VKM comes out and Austin Theory just helped out for 90% of that match and Vince McMahon gets the victory. Austin Theory and Vince hug. All of a sudden, Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out and the crowd goes absolutely nuts and drops both of them with a stunner. Theory had an amazing stunner sell while, of course, Vince McMahon probably upped his worst Stone Cold Stunner bump of all time. 
Because he damn near injured himself, may, may have almost died taking that bump. Which again, he's a 76-year-old man out there taking this kind of damage. I was like, what the hell? Like, I have a trouble sometimes. Like, the next morning after WrestleMania, I, at 32, almost 33 years old, was having trouble, like, moving my legs. My neck was hurting. Vince McMahon, 76 years old, took a damn stunner. 76 years old, Vince McMahon took a stunner. Pat McAfee, Stone Cold, drinking beers. Pat gets a stunner. He basically lived a real-life pro wrestling fantasy camp experience in one match in about 20 minute time period possibly one of the greatest segments in wrestlemania history it was a fever dream and i love it and that's the bottom line because don't go say so son really good stuff here now we get to the main event the universal championship and the wwe title on the line in a unification winner take all contest and this was exactly what I expected. I did not think this was going to be a 45-30 minute classic. I wasn't going to say this was going to be a masterpiece. It was actually 12 minutes and 15 seconds, which felt like it was a lot shorter than that. Really good stuff. Spam the finishers. Just had these two Titans go at it. And they brought the wood the whole time. I liked the finish a lot. It was rushed, but... It looks like there was a possible injury to Roman's arm. People were saying maybe triceps injury, but he was able to show up on Raw, didn't vacate the championships, which is going to be interesting. Now, what happens on between now and SmackDown is a different conversation. But I liked a lot about this show. I especially liked the finish because the fact Brock almost broke Roman's arm with the Kamara Lock. He got to the ropes thanks to Paul Heyman. They countered the F5 and hit the spear for the win. Three and a half links of Boonia stuff. Rush finished possibly due to injury. And that's how we end WrestleMania 38. Overall, I think this was exactly what WWE needed to have happen. They could not afford to have another crappy night too. They learned a lot from their mistakes, mistakes last year and proved why two-night wrestling can actually work. They did take some notes from Wrestle Kingdom having a title match, main event, and it's a unification bout. But honestly, I think it's going to work out really well for WWE because now you can turn the focus towards who's going to wind up taking down Roman now. He's beaten Big Bad Brock. Who's really left? And I think they're already kind of laying the plans down, laying the groundwork for that. He's got Drew McIntyre on SmackDown. He hasn't faced Roman yet. And now that he's done with Baron, maybe we can finally get that storyline. Then you also have Cody. Cody Rhodes, he made his intentions known to contend for the WWE Championship. There are a lot of routes this story is going to take. And I think it's going to be fun to see what happens over the next several months. Now we also also have to think about is Roman just going to simply retain the title for an entire calendar year before we get to the match with The Rock? It's another question that we're going to try and figure out. And that's even thinking that we even see The Rock wrestle in a year's time. Because it just doesn't feel like that's going to happen. They would have probably made that big announcement. And again, I know Hollywood doesn't want The Rock to wrestle one more match because of what happened at Mania 39 just about 10 years ago. 
I'm just intrigued to see what happens next. But I appreciate it for listening to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We'll talk to you this time next week. Until then, enjoy the wrestling, and more importantly, don't be a jerk about it. <laughs>